Hi, this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Welcome to a special edition of the Max Murphy podcast. Uh, my co-host Jarrett Murphy of City Limits and I recently organized with some other partners, especially The Point up in the Bronx, a debate among Democratic candidates for the 15th Congressional District, which is a seat that is opening up due to the retirement of longtime Representative Jose Serrano. So what you're about to hear is the debate that we hosted with eight Democratic candidates who will be on the June ballot. Folks should know that uh, primaries are coming up in June. The actual primary day is June 23rd, but there's an early voting period beforehand. And due to the coronavirus outbreak, all voters are allowed to vote absentee and will be sent absentee ballot applications. Though You can also uh, order one online to make sure you get one. Uh, so folks who either care about or are interested in or, of course, can vote in the 15th Congressional District in the Bronx, uh, this debate is for you. Uh, eight candidates participated, as I said, and had a lively discussion that was broadcast over Zoom and Facebook on Thursday, May 14th. It was an interesting discussion uh, about a lot of ideas and uh, records, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. So here is the Democratic primary debate in the 15th Congressional District in the Bronx. Enjoy. Welcome to the Democratic primary debate for the 15th Congressional District, sponsored by the Point CDC, Gotham Gazette, and City Limits, with Hunts Point Express, Mott Haven Herald as partners. I'm Jarrett Murphy, the editor of City Limits. Para escuchar una traducción en el español de este evento, marque 1-800-719-6100. El código de acceso es 1-4-7338. Por favor, mira a través de facebook.com slash citylimitsnews. This debate features candidates who will be on the ballot for the Tuesday, June 23rd Democratic primary who reported fundraising to the Federal Election Commission and who accepted our invitation. Eight of the 12 candidates on the ballot will join us tonight for this two-hour debate. Their speaking order has been determined by random draw. There are primary elections across New York State on June 23rd. Multiple offices are involved, and while most contests are Democratic primaries, some races involve other parties. Go to voting.nyc to learn who can vote and who's running in your district. Because of COVID-19, the state of New York has said all active voters will receive an application for an absentee ballot, which each voter must fill out and return in order to receive an actual ballot to mail in. In-person voting at polling places will be available as well. The 15th district is the only congressional district located entirely within the Bronx. West of the Bronx River, it covers virtually everything south of Fordham Road. Between the Bronx River and Westchester Creek, it covers everything south of the Cross Bronx Expressway. Only Democrats can vote in this June 23rd primary. The winner of the primary will be the Democratic nominee in the general election on Tuesday, November 3rd. Whoever wins in November will serve the 15th district in the U.S. House of Representatives for a two-year term. The district's current member of Congress, Representative Jose Serrano, is retiring this year, having served in the House since 1990. The Point CDC is part of a coalition of Bronx community organizations that have worked for months to develop a Bronx people's platform for this 2020 election year. That platform helps to frame tonight's debate. The Northwest Bronx Community and Clergy Coalition will host a community-led forum, also informed by the People's Platform, featuring District 15 candidates on Tuesday, June 9th at 6 p.m. Check at Northwest Bronx on Twitter or northwestbronx.org for details. Now to tell us a little more about the People's Platform, 
Here is Dariella Rodriguez, Director of Community Development at The Point. Hello and good evening. Thank you for everyone who's watching tonight and who's participating with us. Um, as Jairus said, I am the Director of Community Development at The Point CDC in Hunts Point. Uh, we're so excited to be able to co-host this debate along with City Limits and Gotham Gazette. Over 25 years in Hunts Point, we have been offering after-school art, photography, circus programs for local youth. Uh, as well as organizing campaigns such as the Sheridan Expressway and the creation of several local um, waterfront parks. A lot of our work is about ensuring that our community is leading in the decision-making processes that impact Hunts Point, oftentimes engaging directly with our local electeds. Uh, I also wear another hat today tonight um, as a participant and a member of a coalition that has been formed Bronx-wide, a coalition made of a dozen and a half organizations that have contributed to creating a platform and others that have um, signed on to endorse. Um, many years of work in the Bronx has led several month-long um, a uh, several month long process and forum is being co-convened by the Point Northwest Bronx Community uh, and Clergy Coalition and the Bronx Cooperative Development Initiative. Uh, look out for details via our social, our social media as Jared mentioned. Um, we have been working towards a community led and designed uh, and have designed a forum that will be taking place on June 9th, during which time we will invite all candidates again to participate this time, this forum will be facilitated and led com uh, completely by community members and community organizations across the Bronx. Uh, we all share and are driven by a commitment to racial justice and economic democracy, uh, something that looks to us like building community ownership and control and shared wealth. We engage in a participatory process to align on the final pro um, platform with delegate um, representatives. And we will release the platform in the uh, next coming weeks um, by the end of May. Uh, to candidates, we really hope that we can count on you and that we'll see you again on June 9th. So um, that's some information. Uh, we'll also be uh, sharing some, some more details about the actual platform uh, leading up to the June 9th event. Thank you. Thank you, Dariella. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Ben Max. Can everybody hear me? Yes, good. Uh, I'm the editor of Gotham Gazette. Uh, really happy to be a co-host of this event. Thank you to Jarrett and Dariella and everybody from City Limits and The Point who helped organize this. And of course, um, our other partners who uh, you'll hear a little bit from as we get going. We're going to try to start uh, with the candidates right at 6.10, so we have about two more minutes uh, at most before we get going here, so candidates get ready. Uh, I'll just go over a couple of the quick uh, overview, ground rules, the way that things are going to run here. I'm going to do my very best to make this a smooth event, uh, and we're going to go right until 8 o'clock and give our large group of candidates here a really good chance to introduce themselves to voters or inform, inform voters more about themselves, their platforms, and why they think they should be the representative from this district moving forward. Things are gonna get a little bit tricky in terms of the order uh, each time candidates get to speak. I'm gonna uh, do my very best to make sure that goes smoothly and call on candidates one by one, and then spotlight them and the main screen so that everybody watching uh, on Zoom or Facebook can see them, can hear you uh, very well, 
So uh, you'll be able to watch that and see as you're spotlighted when it's really time for you to get going and, and talk. We're gonna start very soon with opening statements of one minute each. Every other question, there'll be about five rounds of questions, maybe six, depending on how this goes. Every other time, it'll be about a minute and a half each to answer questions, and then we'll have one minute closing statements at the very end. So right at about 7.50, I'll make sure that we're transitioning into those closing statements for the last 10 minutes. So very soon, we'll be starting with opening statements, then various questions from our panelists, and I'll be helping to just guide that along uh, as I kick it to our panelists and our candidates to uh, get going. So uh, we are going to start with opening statements in just a minute in this order. Uh, first will be uh, Mr. Richie Torres, then Ms. Elise Lopez, Mr. Tomas Ramos, Ms. Melissa Mark Viverito, Ms. Renee Shavona, uh, Mr. Idanis Rodriguez, Mr. Michael Blake, and Mr. Frangel Basora. That will be the order for the opening statements. I'll say it again coming up soon, uh, but that'll be the order for the opening statements, and then we'll switch around the order each round, and I'll introduce each candidate uh, and give you a chance to, to jump in. But candidates, basically the gist is be ready to, be ready to go uh, at all moments uh, and when your name is called, and we'll make sure to unmute you and get you spotlighted, and we're going to start that in just a second. I want to make sure that everybody knows who is going to be asking the questions along with me this evening. Uh, we have three panelists who will be asking questions. They will be Parker Quinlan of the Hunts Point Express and Mott Haven Herald, Daniel Parra of City Limits, and Sierra Straker, a youth activist who lives in the district and is part of Action, the Points Youth Organizing Program. Uh, I listed the candidates quickly. We have eight joining us tonight and you're gonna hear from them in just a moment again and we're gonna do our opening statements in just one moment here. Uh, before I kick it to the candidates for those opening statements, Jarrett, Dariella, anything else that uh, I didn't cover that you wanna make sure to jump in here with? We're good, okay. Uh, candidates, just one more thing. I don't know how familiar you are with Zoom, but I just wanna note if at some point you feel like you've been mentioned, you've been attacked, something like that, I will try to note that, give you 20, 30 seconds to respond when I get a chance. If you feel like I'm not getting uh, to that, you can throw up a hand literally, or you can also uh, hit the raise your hand function in the buttons uh, that some of you may or may not be familiar with, but just be ready to do that, please. Uh, if the time comes, if you think you need to jump back in. But we're really going to try to avoid a lot of back and forth. I mean, it's just too unwieldy. So keep your attacks to a minimum, and we'll try to uh, keep the, those rebuttals uh, to a minimum as well. All right, so let's get started here with opening statements. Uh, in just a second, we're going to come to Councilmember Torres, and then uh, Ms. Lopez, you'll be after that, and then I'll keep introducing people one by one as we for those one minute opening statements. So without any further ado, uh, Councilmember Torres, you're up. Thank you, Ben. And I wanna just thank my, uh, uh, my opponents for being here, all the community-based organizations that were instrumental in organizing this debate. And I'm City Councilmember Richie Torres, you know, born and bred in the Bronx. You know, I first ran for the City Council back in 2013, was 24 on food stamps, openly LGBT, but I knocked on thousands of doors, went to people's homes, heard their stories, and I won my first campaign on the strength of door-to-door -door grassroots campaigning. 
And for seven years in the city council, I've built a record of delivering change for people in greatest need, addressing the opioid crisis, protecting tenants from harassment, requiring the phasing out of fossil fuels. And I'm running on a platform to ensure that every New Yorker has access to safe, decent, affordable housing, quality health care. And we need to invest in green infrastructure to create the next generation of jobs and mitigate the existential challenge of climate change. And that's why I'm running. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Ms. Lopez, we're coming to you next. And you're up. Hi, my name is uh, Sameli Lopez, and I'm running for Congress in the South Bronx. Mi nombre es Sameli Lopez, y me estoy postulando para el Congreso del Sur del Bronx. I've always been in this community. I spent my years of my childhood in a homeless shelter because my mom was a domestic violence survivor. The shelter system saved our lives. I spent many afternoons after school at my mom's sweatshop where she worked as a seamstress because she couldn't afford childcare for me. So those early experiences shaped the lens through which I see the world, my commitment to social justice, my path in life. Over the past decade, I've built housing here in the Bronx and beyond, everything from acquiring sites to financing affordable housing, to working with architects and contractors to get the buildings built and opened in our community because I didn't want other children to have to live in the shelter system and in the streets like I once did. And that's why I'm fighting for a homes guarantee so everyone can have a roof over their head, universal childcare so every working parent can have children safely looked after. And I wanna take big money out of politics because we've had enough of corrupt politicians who answer more to the real estate industry instead of our communities. We're also fighting for Medicare for all and the environmental justice movement with the implementation of a Green New Deal be implemented by the local environmental justice groups that have bared the brunt of environmental injustice here in our neighborhood. And that's why everyone in the grassroots movement space is supporting me from Alexandro Ocasio-Cortez to the Working Families Party, to the Sunrise Movement, to the Democratic Socialists of America, to Tiffany Cabang, and to the North Bronx Racial Justice Coalition uh, have endorsed my campaign. And it's an honor to be here tonight. Thank you. And we're gonna go to Mr. Ramos. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Hello. Good afternoon. Buenas tardes a todos. Oh, sorry about that. Hold on one second there. Hold on one second there. Ben, we've seemed to lost his feet to someone else and we'll come back to him. Sure, yeah, let's get Mr. Ramos back in. Let me, oh, let me bring him in here. I think I got him back in. Uh, Hmm. There you are. Okay, you're back. Here we go. Hold on. Sorry about that. Start again. Uh, buenas tardes a todos, buenas noches. Me llamo Tomás Ramos. Uh, soy primera generación dominicano, nacido acá en, en Nueva York. Uh, my name is Tomás Ramos, and I'm a first-generation Dominican-American. I was the first person in this race, uh, even before Congressman Serrano decided to retire. I did not jump into this race uh, because I, I'm looking for another job or to advance my political career. I decided to run because our community deserves someone who's actually going to do the work and produce results. Everyone in this race uh, pretty much has the same progressive policies that we will be presenting, except for one person who isn't here. Uh, we know who that person is. Uh, the difference between us candidates uh, that you will see is our character. So let me tell you about my character. I have been a leader. I have been a fighter my entire life. 
Working at the Bronx River Community Center, I saw firsthand how our children were getting left behind when it came to access to broadband and technology. That is why I secured funding. I created the first ever technology center in, public, in New York City public housing. My whole life, I have been known as a problem solver. When families started complaining about housing issues, I sprang into action and secured a federal block grant to advocate for families living in low-income housing. And Mr. Ramos, that's, that's a minute, uh, so we'll, we'll come back to you for more very soon. Uh, we're gonna go to uh, Ms. Mark Viverito. Let me unmute you and... You are up. Great, thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, my name is Melissa Mark Viverito. Very proud to be here tonight. Born and raised in Puerto Rico. Uh, but the Bronx has always played a very special place in my heart since my mother was born in Lincoln Hospital uh, and was raised and returned to Puerto Rico at the age of 15 years of age. I'm very proud of having represented the Bronx uh, for 12 years uh, as a council member, four years as speaker, leading the charge to establish community land trusts, one of which was established here in the South Bronx, implement implementing a citywide young women's initiative to deal with the incredible disparities that young women face, uh, restoring parks and green areas, uh, participatory budgeting, other participa participatory mechanisms uh, to ensure greater participation of constituents in decision making. And now we are in an unprecedented time where our district and our community needs a fighter, someone that has a track record of success and has been unwavering and unapologetic in my pro progressive principles. We need to fight for more equality, more justice. That's what my life's work has been about. And that is why I'm in this race. Thank you. And we're going to come to... Uh... Sorry about that. We're going to come to Shavona Newsom now for your opening statement. Thank you for having me, and it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm a revolutionary leader, so I don't have the same politics as everyone else. I have a history of standing at the vanguard for my people and all marginalized people. And this is what the Bronx needs. As we see during this trying time, we see who's on the ground. We see who's standing up to the NYPD with social distancing. We see who's going door to door feeding families. So no, it's not about endorsements. It's not about large donors. It's who's going to be there for the Bronx because it seems to be forgotten. So we need a real candidate, someone who's a revolutionary leader, someone who was not an intern for politicians or a career politician, but someone who actually built something like Black Lives Matter Greater New York someone who got justice for the Eric Gardner family, someone who organized the youth climate strike, someone who has been there without the title, without the job caress, without career politicians as friends or being one. So that's who I am and that's why I'm running in this race. Thank you. Mr. Idanis Rodriguez, you're up. Yo soy un campesino, soy un inmigrante, soy alguien que vino de un país de América Latina a contribuir mano de obra barata y también a ser un luchador. Eh, with my record of being arrested more than 15 times with civil disobedience, calling Occupy Wall Street, Shambell, anyone that you call it, fighting to take the Navy, the Navy out of Vieques, going to Puerto Rico in 1993. As Jose Serrano said, when Jen and I stand together in DC a few months ago, he was very proud of Dominican stand with him since 1994 when he was elected to Congress. Now, I, as a Dominican, is calling our Black, Asian, Puerto Rican, Cuban, Garifono to join me. The person that is the only one that have more than 40 years of proven record fighting for social justice. The person that being a co-founder of Gregorio Luperón High School, 
in Washington High Hump Academy. The person that is following my brothers and sisters that living in Northern Manhattan, they have crossed the Bronx. Oi, most of the people who live in the 50 congressional districts, they have Spanish as their first language. I can grow my race speaking Spanish and connecting with my brothers and sisters from the Afro, Afro-American, Asian, and, and other ethnic background. But one thing that people should know, this district needs someone that also speaks Spanish. We're going to have to stop, stop you there. Thank you. And we're uh, on to Mr. Michael Blake. Uh, let us make sure we unmute you and you're up. Good evening, everyone. Buenos noches a todo. My name is Michael Blake, and I'm asking for your vote for Congress because we believe in the Bronx. You know, we have to understand right now that the fact that we have a debate happening on Zoom shows that times are different. And it's because Donald Trump doesn't care about our communities. He doesn't care if we're alive. He doesn't care if our business survive. This moment means we got to go from pain to promise. It means we have to have leadership in the Bronx, leadership in Washington, because it matters who represents us in Washington. I'm born and raised in this district, Creston and Burnside, PS 79-118, Dewitt Clinton. Had the chance to work for President Obama, where we led the Affordable Care Act and the Recovery Act. In the assembly, minority women-owned businesses, diversity in medicine, public and affordable housing, just to name a few things. So if you believe that it should be easier to make sure you have lead-free paint instead of unleaded gas, I'm asking you join us. If you believe that we should focus on neighborhood basic income and a cradle to the career, join us. If you believe that a man must be and should be a feminist at the same time, join us. If you believe it's wrong for police to throw us to the ground, join us. So if you believe your block won't block your blessing and your zip code won't deny your destiny, I'm asking for your vote. My name is Michael Blake and I'm asking you join us at Blake for Congress at NYC. And I look forward to the conversation that we're having tonight. Thank you everyone. Thank you. And we're up to our final uh, entrant uh, in the opening statements. And that's Mr. Frangel Basora. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Frangel Basora. Hola, como esta mi gente? Yo me llamo Frangel Basora. I am born and raised in the Bronx. Uh, I grew up to a single Spanish-speaking mother. Uh, what I represent in this race is someone who understands and has made it through the hurdles and the difficulties that our borough uh, holds. Uh, and that includes uh, having spent some time in a uh, transitional housing unit um, as a child. Our vision for the Bronx includes uh, a homes guarantee legislation that makes housing a human right for all. Uh, it includes health care as a right, uh, and particularly in the Bronx, what that means is addressing the mental health crisis. It includes a federal jobs guarantee that for the low income and the poor that makes it possible uh, so that our families can be lifted out of poverty. Uh, I know the Bronx. The reason why I am running is that uh, we cannot have what the Bronx has had. Uh, if things are going to change, it has to be us, the people, who need to step up and make sure that we're representing each other um, in office. Uh, and I think that we can do that. It's time to make the Bronx uh, go from being a placeholder in Congress to leading this nation. Thank you. So we're moving on to our first question from one of our panelists here. Uh, everybody's gonna get to answer all the questions uh, unless there's just a few minutes at the end and I, and I throw a couple extra questions in there. But um, 
So we're we're basically going around in the same order, but we're skip. You know, we're we're moving on to who's going to start first. So this round, uh, Miss Lopez, you'll start first, and we work our way around again. And and this is a long uh, break for you, Mr. Torres. But again, you know, things will come around again, and everybody's going to have some of those longer breaks between talking. Um, but obviously, everybody should uh, stay on their feet and ready to go. So for the first round of panelist questions. I'm kicking it to Parker Quinlan of Hunts Point Express and Mott Haven Herald. Parker, over to you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for everybody for uh, coming to the debate tonight. Um, so for the first question, um, please evaluate the federal response to the coronavirus crisis in terms of the several packages that have gone through Congress so far. What has been good and bad about them, about what's been passed so far, and what needs to happen next to address uh, the needs of this congressional district? Thank you. So we're starting with Ms. Lopez on that question, then we'll go to Mr. Ramos and so on. Uh, so Ms. Lopez, uh, you're up. Yeah, so in terms of the coronavirus response, I wish that at least in New York State, it would have been led more by science and not by uh, the politicians. I think that when it comes to these times, we need to center science, we need to center the medical community in terms of outlining our response to the crisis. In terms of the stimulus package uh, that have been passed, it's a travesty. I mean, the undocumented community has been left out. Uh, essential workers have been left out. Uh, you know, um, and we need to fight to make sure that everybody is included in the stimulus package because right now we're facing a pandemic, and it's unfair that you know people don't have the resources that they need to get by. In our phone banking in the community, what we've seen is that the number one thing that people are experiencing is hunger, and they're afraid to go to the hospital because they feel like they're gonna get a big uh, you know, healthcare bill. That's why we need to use this crisis that we have right now to envision something different because the current system that we have right now is not working for us at all. So we need to envision a paradigm shift and fight for things like universal healthcare, universal housing, because right now having lack of uh, housing is a public health crisis. Not having access to soap and running water it's a death sentence in the time of the coronavirus. And we need to continue to fight for a better stimulus package that uh, you know, impacts uh, you know, the lives of the people here in the community and have the directly impacted be the ones that shape the stimulus packages that are set forth moving forward. Thank you. Uh, over to you, Mr. Ramos. Uh, everyone's gonna answer the same question. And if anybody needs a reminder when we get to you, uh, I'll kick it back to Parker to re repeat the question. Uh, go ahead, Mr. Ramos. Yeah, so when we look at the federal response from day one, uh, Donald Trump uh, in February was still calling this a hoax. We saw what was happening in China. Then we, we saw what was going on in Italy, uh, specifically Italy, because thousands of people started to die. The Bronx, as we all know, is the unhealthiest county of uh, New York State, 62 out of 62. We have the highest asthma rate. I want to know what was the federal response uh, when we knew this was going to hit our community the hardest in the Bronx, and what was the representation on and advocating for those resources so we can at least help these hospitals um, get equipped with the right resources? Nobody did anything. In the beginning of March, I, I launched uh, an initiative and I was able to, in the, in the middle of the worst crisis of, of our lifetime, I sprang into action and secured $3 million in less than a week to help increase the Bronx's overall ICU bed capacity by 32%. This was before Governor Cuomo even shut down the state. So, this shows the example of lead, our leaders failing us from the day one. Our federal government did not equip our hospitals to expand 
and increase ICU bed capacities, which literally is the lifeline of people that are getting sick with COVID-19. We were able to secure over 20,000 N95 masks in, middle, in the middle of March before the apex hit. This is very, very, very important because we need a leader that's gonna have the foresight and understanding that a crisis is gonna hit our community. How are we gonna bring in the resources as quickly as possible and, and mobilize uh, units and making sure that we can save lives? And that's where our federal government failed us. And that was, and that's myself as a leader coming in, stepping up and making the change that's needed to save as many lives as possible. Thank you. And we're gonna to go to Ms. Mark Viverito next. The, um, the, the responses so far have been just uh, pathetic, you know, and woefully inadequate. Uh, the Bronx and the 15th Congressional District in particular have been on the receiving end of policies that have been promoted at the national level that basically promote inequality that are based on politics and policies that are uh, based in racism. And so now that inequality obviously is front and center. Uh, in this district and, and really has been magnified by this pandemic. When we talk about a, a package that does not include uh, mixed status families, that does not include our undocumented uh, neighbors and friends and families, doesn't include hazard pay, does not include any type of assistance with regards to medical services um, or medical coverage. When you're talking about that it does not allow for any sort of loan forgiveness, rent moratoriums, uh, you know, rep forgiveness, uh, loan forgiveness. There's a lot that is in a, 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 that is missing in that in those packages. All of them. Small businesses are completely left out. So to me, it is just indicative of where we are as a country and the systemic change that we must enact um, to ensure that we are uplifting all. And so to me, the fact that we don't have a universal basic income, which should be considered in a package like this for the extension and the extent of this pandemic, where people can have that coverage and making sure that everybody's taken care of, where families and individuals don't have to be so concerned you know, about having to risk themselves or their lives, especially the most vulnerable. Uh, those are things that were woefully, uh, that were overlooked in this package. So for me, those are areas that I would wanna focus on where the uh, en energy has to be, housing has to be a priority, you know, and Thank coverage you. has to be a priority. So those are things that I believe should be part of the next package. Thank you. We're going to go to, to be part of the next package. Miss Miss Newsom, you're up. Well, I. It's been an absolute war on the poor, and we see this from the left federal level to the state level to the local level level. Now, as a community organizer and a civil rights leader, there's only so much I can do until I'm elected. But on March 20th, I wrote Nancy Pelosi and Charles Schumer and asked for money because I'm the first person in this race to support universal basic income, calling for all citizens and undocumented workers to receive $2,000 per month for the duration of the pandemic and $1,200 thereafter. I called on Governor Andrew Cuomo to ask for additional testing sites on April 1st to the Bronx because the maps were showing that black and brown people were dying at a higher rate. I also fed people. So our current leadership knew what was happening. They knew in 2016 when legionnaires came to the Bronx that with our asthma rates, where we live, and our food insecurities, 
what a virus like this would do. And no one made any attempt to pass current legislation. And this is why we need new leaders. We need leaders who are unapologetic and unafraid to take a stand and to be there for the people. I think that the people in Washington, as well as New York State, have forgotten who is their job to serve. It's not their job to serve real estate developers, corporations, and to advance their career. Their job is to serve the people of the Bronx. Thank now, you. we know that people in the Bronx are at the bottom. That does not mean that we are not resilient, but... Thank you. We don't have the finances. That's why so many of our people are getting sick. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to move on to uh, Mr. Rodriguez now. You're up. The, if there's one thing that we have experienced during this time of the coronavirus is that anyone can get the coronavirus, but the poorest one, other one dies. So definitely in these first stimulus packages that we saw, there was no money for real small business. It was the bank who controlled the money for the small, call it small business. But the small business, the mapping part, the beauty salon, the bodega, the restaurant, they had not qualified. And it's not only the federal government who failed that, but also the city SPS also have not been able to hold the small business to navigate and get the help that they needed. I also feel that when we saw yesterday that the city level, we had the first meeting of 154 members of, that, of, the, of the task force that the mayor created, only four of those are Dominicans when there's a million Dominicans in New York City. Only 14% are Latino. So it's not only what have happened up to now, it's also the vision at the federal level and the city level. I will be supporting, I'll be working with Congressman Serrano and Congressman Espaillat, following his legacy, to be sure that we support Speaker Pelosi, to be sure that with the next package, we get real money. We should get money to provide free rent to tenants in a small business for at least six months. That's what I would do. Voy a trabajar para asegurarme que los fondos federales no discriminen a la gente trabajadora, a los más pobres, como ha ocurrido en este momento. Este estímulo parque demostró que fueron de nuevo los más ricos los recibieron la mayor dinero. Vamos a luchar para lograr que en este próximo parque haga renta gratis por tres meses, por seis meses, para los pequeños negociantes y los inquilinos. Y un seguro de salud gratis y de igual calidad para los ricos y los pobres. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, Mr. Blake, you're up. Our people are dying. Our businesses are being lost, and we need to save our home. You know, I lost one of my boys, 46 years old. He was a Verizon employee, and when you think about what is happening, there was a pandemic of poverty and institutionalized racism before the coronavirus pandemic hit. So to your question, what did we do? We helped launch the Bronx Community Relief Effort. And I appreciate the point that was raised earlier. It matters what people do now, because in moments of crisis, you need leadership. You know, we've been able to raise funds to make sure we have close to 1 million meals we've given out throughout the Bronx through World Central Kitchen, the PPE to our local nurses and healthcare workers. Thank you for the endorsement today from the nurses as well as RWDSU. We released on our website a coronavirus plan which included $100 billion to make sure we had direct basic income as well as additional support. Uh, when we think about what has not happened, uh, we did not protect our small businesses enough, which is why we're partnering with Third Avenue Business Improvement District to support that. We did not focus on education enough because it doesn't make sense that only 84% of our kids in the Bronx are engaged, which does not mean they're showing that they're learning. And when we see that a virus in Wuhan is impacting us in the Bronx, this makes it global. What do we have to do next? 
The HEROES Act being voted on tomorrow, we have to make sure there's direct stimulus money that gets to people. We have to protect our immigrants. There has to be immediate housing support. And we have to make sure that we have changes when it comes to food and food security. And lastly, we have to make sure on the ground, as we're watching social distancing being implemented by people who should not be implementing it. As a black man, I'm afraid every time I walk outside. So the city must change the mask law so that you don't have people being attacked for no reason other than being black and brown. Thank you. And Mr. Basora, over to you. Yes, thank you. Go ahead. Um, so let's, let's get something clear. COVID-19 is targeting uh, the Bronx. Uh, COVID-19, all aspects of it is targeting African-Americans um, and Hispanics from our deaths to the over-policing. Uh, and I think that the people have not been prioritized. The federal government has failed uh, the people of the Bronx and the people nationally. $1,200 is not enough. Housing is a crisis waiting to happen. It's not about just re uh, freezing rent. It's about making sure that our people are relieved of it. Uh, our small businesses have been abandoned tragically. When we see the Bronx, we see our bodegas, we see our immigrant communities and a lot of um, our beauty salons, you know, there is no way out for them. So a lot of what our vision is and a lot of what our priority needs to be has to be for the most vulnerable people, which exist in New York 15. It has to, the money and the resources need to make it to our communities, our homes, our businesses, um, and our people. I think that the Bronx has always been last. Unfortunately, we see it again. And the only way that things are going to change is that if we stand up and move forward. Thank you. And to round out this question on evaluating the federal response, uh, especially what's come through Congress so far and what needs to happen next, uh, Mr. Torres. Yeah, the Trump administration has had the worst response in the world. You know, Donald Trump has known about the outbreak of the novel coronavirus since the beginning of January, and he went two months either downplaying or denying the outbreak, and he did too little too late. You know, we did the opposite of South Korea. South Korea took action early on and conducted widespread testing, isolated the infected, traced their contacts, quarantined the exposed, promoted social distancing among the population. And as a result, South Korea has fewer than 300 fatalities. We have more than 80,000. And the federal response, the lack of support has been abysmal. There's no hazard pay for essential workers, no housing support for renters on the verge of eviction, um, it, it's been a disaster. So th there's nothing, the United States has had the worst response uh, in the world and it's an embarrassment. Okay, we are going to move on to our next question. Uh, Mr. Ramos is gonna answer first this time. Uh, and for that question, I'm gonna kick it over to uh, Daniel Parra of City Limits. Uh, Daniel, take it away. Hold on, Daniel, we can't hear you. There you go, go ahead. Okay, so some of you have talked about uh, immigration. I would like to know uh, what are your plans and basically what's your outline for your immigration reform? Okay, so Daniel wants to know your plans for immigration reform uh, if elected to Congress, uh, what plan you'd put forward for immigration reform. Mr. Ramos, we're starting with you, then we'll go to Ms. 
Mark Viverito, and so on. Uh, Mr. Ramos, you're up. Yeah, so uh, as a freshman member of Congress, uh, we all know you're limited on what, what you can do. I will stand beside all of our members of Congress and make sure that we pass the DREAM Act. That is the act that should have been passed already, and I will continue advocating for that. Uh, furthermore, is we have to look at right now what's affecting our communities. Um, I worked in the restaurant hospitality industry. A lot of my friends are undocumented right now. They're calling me, asking me, Tomas, what can we get? Because uh, we're struggling. There's no jobs. We don't have uh, the stimulus bills do not include undocumented folks. So that's why uh, I in initiated phase two of uh, my initiative where we secured $100,000 uh, to help nonprofits, uh, not only with food, but also the undocumented population uh, to get them at least some, some groceries and some stipends. So it's a reality of, you know, when you, we get into Congress, what are we going to do? Is Well, we're going to be, you know, collaborating with our other fellow Congress members. But right now we are faced with a, a huge problem in our communities. And I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm doing this now, you know. As a member of Congress, the DREAM Act will be my first uh, piece of legislation uh, that I'm going to help uh, try to advocate for. Porque nuestra gente, nuestra comunidad, necesitan la representación. Y yo estoy de acuerdo con muchos de los latinos que dice Dani, porque nosotros necesitamos representación latino, necesitamos representación de la República Dominicana, que conozcan lo que nuestra comunidad está sufriendo y está pasando. Mi padre estuvo deportado. Yo tengo familiares que todavía están deportados y viven aquí sin documentos. So yo voy a ser la persona, el luchador que voy a pelear para la comunidad Thank Están you. sin papeles. Muchas gracias. Thank you. Over to you, Ms. Mark Viverito, your immigration reform plans. I'm extremely um, proud of the track record and the foundation that I have uh, put forward as a council member and a speaker in the city of being incredibly passionate, strong, and effective uh, immigrant rights advocate in the city of New York. And I want to be able to advance similar policies that we enacted here in the city nationally. I believe that we should have an amnesty program. I believe we need to abolish ICE. I believe that we need to ensure that um, we do provide legal funds for those who are facing deportation proceedings to ensure that they have representation, making sure that we do provide uh, uh, legal representation for unaccompanied minors. There's great work that we have done at a local level that we need to obviously expand, but I'm gonna be that continued fierce advocate uh, to push back against an administration that literally has us in its bullseye, where we are dehumanized each and every day, where we have children who are dying in custody, um, and we have obviously adults and their family members as well. So our immigration system is woefully inadequate. Um, obviously, I have major concerns with the number of deportations under the prior administration and in this administration with the dehumanization that's happening. So for the presidential candidate on the Democratic Party, I have not heard enough about what it is that they want to do when it comes to immigration. And so there is a lot of work to do. That passion and advocacy that I brought to this uh, uh, council district, to the city of New York as speaker, the accomplishments that I have, uh, policies and investments that we were able Thank to you. make, I will continue to advance that at a national level. Thank you. Over to you, Ms. Newsom. We need a clear and defined path to citizenship. 
For the 11 million undocumented workers, they live in fear every day. We've had not had a true policy change in over 20 years. We currently have children living in cages. And we also need to change the face of what the world sees in terms of immigration. It's not only a Latinx thing, it's not only below the border, but we have African people in the Bronx. We have people from the Caribbean in the Bronx. BLM, Greater New York, I was on the front lines with the rest of my team. Some of my team members were arrested when Trump first implemented the Muslim ban. So we need someone who's gonna go to DC with that same energy, who is unafraid, and who will get what needs to be done, done. And that's why I'm making it a clear and easy path to citizenship. Thank you. Mr. Rodriguez, your immigration reform agenda. Reform must be done as yesterday. And as a Congress member, I will follow Congressman Serrano's legacy. And I will work with Congressman Espaillat in his fight together with the New York City delegation. And I will follow all the Congress members that they've been fighting nationwide. It is so sad that the last immigration reform was done by Ronald Reagan. And from there on, we have so many decades already that passed by. It is so unfortunate that when the Democrats had a chance to the immigration reform, we failed to that. But the city level, I also have the municipal voting rights. I would like to be working only, and I already expressed the Speaker Johnson, that as he expressed during the debate for the Speaker, that he support the municipal voting rights, that we should pass the municipal voting rights, that will allow New Yorkers with green cards and working permit to vote in municipal elections. I will expand the nationwide. As a, as a council member, I also have another um, bill that is related to support the immigrant to create good paid jobs. And I will be sure that the same bill that I have, that I'm holding a press conference on Monday, the Jazz Survival Act, that will allow immigrants, especially who own the business, the map and pop store, to have fairness when they negotiate the lease, so that they can have a guarantee or at least a year lease to become a national model. So I feel myself, yo soy el único que sido inmigrante. I am the only one in this group that went to 26 Federal Plaza to renew my green card from 83 from 83 to 2000. I am the only one as a, as a former teacher for 13, for 13 years that worked with immigrant students. Thank you. Mr. Blake on immigration reform. You're up. Well, first, we always want to convey, and I appreciate the comment was made earlier, you know, as a son of Jamaican immigrants, immigration impacts all of us. Uh, and so to your question, first, what have we done? Uh, I was a co-sponsor of the DREAM Act that we got passed and, and signed into law, as well as pushing for the effort uh, to make sure we supported uh, driver's licenses for undocumented immigrants as well. On the federal level, we must, of course, pass the DREAM Act on the federal level. There's no question about that um, as well. Now, beyond that, we've got to go further. Uh, there has to be a Bill of Rights that helps our immigrants, uh, and in particular when it comes to minority women-owned businesses. We have to make sure it is health care uh, regardless of citizenship status. We have to reject any efforts that try to penalize sanctuary cities. It's the reason why the relationships in Congress will matter on day one. And the 11 members of Congress that have already endorsed this are for that. Language access. It has to be in Spanish, but also our languages that impact the Asian community, which Saul has also supported us, as well as French because of the African community. UFCW and RWDSU, the grocery workers, of course, the immigrant narrative that exists there, but also for Garifuna that we have to celebrate when we talk about immigration, United African Coalition. All these pieces demonstrate not just the policies, but also the coalition we have to build. This cannot just be a district for one. 
anyone that represents this congressional district has to rep represent everyone. And that's the reason I'm running for Congress. And that's the vision that we have when it comes to immigration. Thank you, Mr. Basura. Uh, yes. <clears throat> Uh, so I'm a first generation American. I come from an immigrant family. My parents are uh, immigrants from the Dominican Republic. Mi familia, somos todos estadounidenses naturalizados, migrantes desde la República Dominicana. It's a matter of restoring uh, the integrity of our nation. That's what defending immigration in the United States um, has become about, right? In Congress, uh, I pledge to not only introduce and help pass a more daring version of the DREAM Act, uh, but also uh, make sure that the, the, the DACA is protected and reinstated. Um, this is about decriminalizing poverty, decriminalizing immigrants, making sure that we roll back uh, Trump's uh, vile and disgusting uh, use of social programs are against uh, our permanent residents here, and it's m making sure that we give people a clear path to legal residency and then citizenship. Um, but yes, immigration is very much the backbone of our country, and protecting it is protecting the legacy of our nation. Thank you, Mr. Torres, on the immigration reform agenda. Look, the, the immigrant community has been the hardest hit, not only have many immigrants lost their jobs and their livelihoods, but many of them are ineligible for federal programs, whether it be nutritional assistance, unemployment insurance. So many immigrant families are on the verge of destitution. So we have to expand the eligibility of those programs to create a safety net for immigrants. We have to end family separation, the practice of separating parents from children and children from parents and detaining them in cages. It's, it's profoundly immoral. And we have to ensure that immigrants have access to health care. You know, I'm a supporter of the Affordable Care Act, but the Achilles heel of the Affordable Care Act was the failure to cover undocumented immigrants. I would argue that extending preventative health care to undocumented immigrants is not only good morals, it's also good economics. It's more economical to provide everyone with preventative care than to have people go to the emergency room, which is much more expensive. So we have to do right by immigrant communities. Thank you. And we'll go to Ms. Lopez to round out this round, and then we'll be uh, going on to a question from Sierra after this. Uh, Ms. Lopez. As a daughter of an Afro-Dominican woman who experienced dictatorships when she was living in the Dominican Republic, I am definitely on board with the immigrant experience, and it's definitely one of the lenses through which I see the world. In terms of how I would handle it, I would definitely abolish ICE demilitarize the border, keep families together, institute right to counsel in immigration court, repeal the 1996 immigration laws, and provide whistleblower visas for immigrants uh, that are undocumented, that are organizing for better working conditions. Because what's happening uh, in some places in the country and in New York is that when uh, the undocumented immigrant uh, community organizes, the, the bosses end up you know, sending ICE to you know, deport them. So we need to put a stop to that um, because, you know, undocumented workers, uh, you know, immigrants are the ones that create the wealth in this country and we need to put a stop to that. Um, in addition to that, we need to pass federal day labor protections, ban the criminalization of undocumented people, expand DACA, a, you know, support pathways to citizenship in the form of the DREAM Act um, and repeal discriminatory HUD policy that targets mis 
mixed status families. And, you know, I also want to give a shout out to our team and our website. If you go to our website, we've prioritized and been very intentional about language justice. So I think that we're the only campaign in the city that we know of that's translated our website into Spanish, French, and Bengali, English, in honor of the diversity that exists in the 15th Congressional District. So in addition to that, I think that we also need to look at foreign policy and look at the military industrial complex because a lot of these issues are because the civilization is happening all over the country. So we need to look at, you know, supporting uh, Palestinian rights. We need to look at lifting sanctions from Iran and Venezuela. Okay. Okay. We, uh, we're going to go on to our next question here, our next round. Uh, answering first this time around will be Ms. Mark Viverito, and then we'll go on to Ms. Newsom, Mr. Rodriguez, and so on. Uh, to ask this question, we have Sierra Straker, who's 16 years old and a high school student who lives in the district that uh, you're all seeking to represent. Uh, she's a youth activist in action, activist coming to inform our neighborhood, which is the Points Youth Organizing Program. Uh, Sierra, take it away. Hi, my name is Sierra Straker. I'm 16 years old and attend high school while living in the Hunts Point community. I also participate in the youth activism program called Action at the Point CDC. Especially now with COVID-19, we are experiencing the burden of environmental justice issues like poor air quality, more than others in our state in this country. Our communities have been on the front line of struggles for decades. For many years, Congressman Serrano has been the champion for EJ and other organization campaigns that address the root causes of these injustices. These campaigns have been mostly led by young people like my peers and I. How will you support youth-led campaigns that address infrastructure and developmental issues that create harm in families like mine? Thank you, Sierra. So we're going to go to Ms. Marco to start this round. Uh, if, you, if anybody needs Sierra to repeat the uh, crux of her question, please uh, say so. And we'll kick it back to you, Sierra, for uh, a quick repetition. Ms. Marco Sierra, thank you so much for the question and for your activism. And um, I've always been a firm believer. I come from a youth leadership development background. But I'm, almost, I'm a firm believer in uh, facilitating as an elected official facilitating the voices and uplifting the voices of those impacted, right? So I've always created opportunities for deep consultation with community members, coalition building with those um, who are organizing around issues that they care about. So in this case, participatory budgeting is a prime example uh, where we also included young people as young as 14 in a process of civic engagement and decision-making about how taxpayer dollars should be invested. Same here concept that you're laying out that young people who are creating a dialogue, a conversation about issues that they that they care about, like environmental injustice, are ones that I would definitely support and join. And I would allow them to help uh, facilitate what direction I would go in on those issues. We have too many waste transfer stations and disproportionately impacted by that. We don't have enough access to um, open space in, in the South Bronx and to playgrounds that have deep investments. Uh, and parks. That's why I invested $35 million in St. Mary's Park of taxpayer dollars. Um, we need to ensure that we're creating opportunities where we are supporting the vibrancy and the health of the community. So as young people, whatever it is that you lay out as a plan that is deeply personal to you and how you feel we should address it, 
um, is something that I would support as an elected official. And my whole history and trajectory has been as a coalition builder and also as one who's facilitating um, that, that my work be led and be directed by the voices that I represent. So I am glad to see uh, that you are part of a greater coalition and I will definitely love to hear more about it and would love to meet with all of you um, once I get elected into office. So um, thank, thank you for your question. Thank you, Ms. Newsom on environmental justice and youth-led activism. Uh, thank you so much, Sierra. Uh, you actually remind me a lot of Nepal Kiyazolu, who is my mentee and the current president of Black Lives Matter Greater New York. She started as a part of our youth coalition, and now she's the number two activist after Greta Thunberg. In regards to environmental justice, um, I was an organizer for the youth climate strike. I sent about a dozen kids out to Iowa so they can plan for this. So by going to DC, I'll actually have the resources to help more kids and to empower them to be free, to be new leaders. Uh, also to create park spaces in New York City, because once COVID virus, once it goes away, hopefully we are going to need the fresh air. But Ciara, I'm just so proud to have you here answering this question. And this has been my life's work. Uh, some of the legislation that the youth ha has put together has been presented on the Albany floor as well as three marches for social justice and against police brutality. So my mission has been about promoting the youth. It's nothing that I would have to work on or try and work towards to or think of an answer for this question. My body of work proves that I will continue to do that. Thank you, Ciara. Mr. Rodriguez, over to you. Where you work and you remember me, all the work that we have done with so many youth. You remember my daughter now, 13 years old, that always has been also fighting in her own school for social justice. And when we march for climate justice, I marched together with a climate 360 group that have been organizing for climate justice. But also as a teacher that I was for 13 years, co-founded to a school, I had dedicated my whole life just organizing the youth. And I was a youth myself, being at City College, we took over 89, 91. We won the fight, agitating, organizing, fighting for a right. First of all, in my opponent, not to increase tuition, and neither cut the budget to our students. And that's why I have so many dozen of students from CUNY that they helping me to make phone calls, that they part of this movement. But definitely the reality why is the only reason why I got a thousand votes in the assembly district 79 when I ran back in February for public advocate in the Bronx, and I got 5,500 votes in the Bronx, is because those voters in the Bronx are connected. We might fight for climate justice. We might fight for, for social justice. And that's what we do together, working with organizations like you and those or others that unfortunately, some elected officials have failed by making the Bronx the poorest one in the whole United States of America. That will be part of the past when we get elected together in June 23rd. Thank you, uh, Mr. Blake, on environmental justice issues and youth activism. Well, well thank you. And, and first, Ben, if I can, because specifically uh, my district was just mentioned there, I, I would say that for anyone that lives outside of the Bronx and represents a community outside of the Bronx, they should probably run for Congress outside of the Bronx rather than talking about what's happening in our district. Uh, now, as it relates to your question, first, uh, Sierra, uh, we're proud of you, uh, and, and you show us why it matters. 
you remind us of the work that many of us have done over the years. I remember in high school when I was volunteering with Northwest Bronx Community and Clergy Coalition or with Davidson Community Center or Justice League NYC. Uh, it's the reason why we support New Leaders Council and Renaissance Youth Center and Dream Yard, just to name a few. Specifically on climate change, here's why I want to work with you on. Uh, we can talk about this, but we realize it is the existential threat of our generation. It's the reason why I'm a co-sponsor on the Climate and Community Protection Act, which was passed in New York State. It's the reason why we, of course, have to go further um, on the federal level, which we will when we get to Congress. I was the policy director for Green for All as well. But go further than that. Bus emissions. We have to make sure that we focus on what's going on with select bus service. Reduce the emissions from buildings, and that's why we collaborate with Block Power. Address asthma as an underlying cause, which is important to me because of my mother suffers and battles from that. So if you go to Blake for Congress at NYC and see our mission, you will see our vision on climate change from imposing a moratorium on new fossil fuel development to limiting fracking, to making sure we transition into a clean economy so we create good jobs and focus on clean water as well. So I'm looking forward to working with you, Sierra, and everyone else because we understand because of what's going on with coronavirus, it is not just the pandemic that happened before, it's how do we transform and make things better for our communities moving forward. Thank you, and over to you, Mr. Basora. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, so by the way, you remind me so much. I, I have a younger brother and younger cousins that um, are incredibly impressive in how they are leading for justice, specifically environmental justice. So on behalf of all of us, on behalf of me, thank you. You, know, you inspire us. Uh, environmental justice is a class issue. It is an ethnicity issue um, and it's structural, right? When we're speaking about uh, Flint, Michigan, when we're speaking about uh, health here in the Bronx, environmentally related health in the Bronx, I think that environment needs to be approached um, in, in, in lifting our communities. Um, when we're speaking about addressing climate change, right? It's a matter of making sure that we understand that climate change disproportionately affects lower income and poor communities um, and communities of color. So it is very, very important to me. Um, what's also very important to us in our vision uh, for Congress is making sure that addressing the environment also brings jobs in. There is an incredible opportunity to make sure that um, our lowest income Americans are employed through the environment. And so that is very much a priority. Thank you so much for the question and for everything that, that you're doing for all of us. Thank you. We're going to go to Mr. Torres. Mr. Torres, you're up. Yep. So here in the Bronx, we're living through the intersection of environmental racism and COVID-19, the communities, the frontline communities that have the highest rate of pollution have had the highest rates of COVID-19 morbidity and mortality. And so we have to dramatically reinvest in America on the scale of the New Deal, the Great Society. Uh, we should invest in green infrastructure in every sector of the economy, buildings, agriculture, energy, transportation. And that would achieve two goals at once. Not only would it mitigate the impact of climate change and create more climate justice, but it would also create the next generation of jobs that will enable us to recover from COVID-19. You know, young people are going to be at the forefront of the fight for climate justice. You know, I want to actually congratulate Sam Elise on the uh, Sunrise endorsement. Sunrise is a powerful example of youth organizing in the service of climate justice. 
And so I've been inspired by the young people who have played an outsized role in raising consciousness about the greatest challenge of our time, which is catastrophic climate change. Thank you, and that's a good segue to you, Ms. Lopez. Oh, hold on one second. Thank you for that question. I'm a strong believer in youth. I actually co-founded a youth development initiative called Velo City that exposed me to a lot of the organizations in the Bronx that are doing amazing environmental justice work like Bronx River Alliance, YMPJ, uh, The Point CDC. So I just want to thank you for your service and for being involved in our environmental justice movement here locally. I absolutely agree that we need a Green New Deal, but we need a Green New Deal the implementation of a Green New Deal has to absolutely be informed by the frontline environmental justice communities that have bared the brunt of environmental injustice. And we need to take leadership from the existing environmental justice community in terms of a path forward. So, you know, that's what I'll say with that, because the South Bronx has one of the highest rates of asthma, of respiratory illnesses in the entire country. And a lot of that is due because of bad economic policy choices that our political leadership has undertaken. For instance, Fresh Direct, and not paying attention to an environmental impact study that the Mott Haven community was organizing against for years. So we need to listen to the community and to activists on the ground that are organizing around these issues and listen to directly impacted people and the movement space and anything that we do in terms of applying uh, you know, laws at the federal, state, and local level around environmental justice and beyond. Thank you so much for asking that question. Thank you. And Mr. Ramos is going to close out this round. And then, Parker, you'll be up with the next question. Uh, go ahead, Mr. Ramos. Sarah, first off, uh, thank you for that question. Um, as, as the only actually educator right now that is running, uh, the, young, the youth and your young people is the reason why I'm running. Uh, the first thing I will do is create a task force uh, with a, a diverse uh, group of young people uh, so they can come down in Washington and actually uh, advocate for some policies that are, you know, we need in our district. Uh, when I worked at the Bronx River Community Center for an organization called Children's Arts and Science Workshops, I actually established the first um, uh, mixed advisory board where we actually had our youth, our high school students, in our meetings talking about what's going on on the ground floor. Uh, we have to be inclusive with our, with our youth because for so long our, our young people have not had a voice. Um, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's really just disheartening to see, uh, you know, what's going on right now in our communities and our young people this summer uh, will be without SYP. Our young people will be without summer camp. Um, and that's something that's going to affect our communities uh, extremely drastically. I, 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 if, if I may say, we have to prepare ourselves right now and also for the future. Uh, what does that look like? Remote learning is something uh, that we are, 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 are experiencing firsthand, but we were not well equipped. Uh, three years ago, when I, fly, I applied for, um, mm. when I secured a grant uh, for the first tech center in public housing, I identified an issue. I identified that we'd had, we did not have broadband in our communities, a lack of uh, tech uh, resources, and that's why I fought for that as a community organizer. When I get into Congress, I will continue advocating for our youth and ensure that every single young person has a voice um, across the board. Thank you. Thank you. So I just want to take a quick moment before we go to Parker for the next question. That's uh, we're just a little over halfway through our um, our time here. So I just want to take a quick moment to just reset for one second. We're going to continue to, to go along uh, pretty much the same path we have for a couple more questions. Uh, if there's a little more time at the end, I have a couple of extra questions to maybe go through on the quicker side, and then we'll get to closing statements. 
I just wanted to note for everybody, um, moderating a lot of these debates in person, usually, uh, you know, I try to jump in a little bit more and ask people to be more specific when they're being vague or more closely answer the question. So I haven't really done that here in the Zoom setting, but um, I might try to jump in a little bit more uh, if folks don't seem to be answering the questions directly or being a little bit vague. So everybody just be a little bit more ready for uh, a little more active moderating in the, in the second half here to make sure that uh, we're getting to all that. We also had a little bit of a quick instance of uh, a little candidate back and forth. I really don't want to take a lot of time on that. Um, you know, again, if, if somebody feels like, you know, they've been attacked and they really need to respond, maybe just make a note of that. And, and next time it comes around to you, take 15 seconds at the top of your answer, uh, you know, to, to comment. Um, but I'd rather really not take the time that we have to go back and forth. I'd rather give people really a chance to, to answer the questions and be substantive. Um, uh, so we're going to move on to that. Ms. Lopez, I saw, you, I saw you raising your hand there. Did you have a quick question or, or something you wanted to jump in with? Yeah, I had a quick question actually for Michael Blake. Oh, um, let, let's, let's not do that. Why don't you, why don't you do that when, you, when it's back around to you? If, you? if you need to say something directly to Mr. Blake, go ahead when it comes back around to you. Sure. Thank you. Um, okay, so Parker... Parker's going to take it away here with our next question. We're going to start the next answer round with Ms. Newsom, then Mr. Rodriguez, and so on. So, Parker, take it away, please. All right. Thank you. Um, many of you have made fundraising pledges of various kinds. Um, if you've made a fundraising pledge, for example, uh, not taking corporate PAC money, please explain the pledge and why you made it. And if you haven't made any fundraising pledge, please explain that decision. And in all your answers, please explain. Uh, if you think a politician could be swayed by campaign donors. Okay, thank you, Parker. So uh, if you've made a fundraising pledge of some kind, what is it? Uh, if you haven't made one, why not? And uh, please tie that into, you know, sort of a more general answer on whether you think uh, uh, politicians are swayed by those donations. Uh, so Ms. Newsom, go ahead. Oh, hold on one sec. We have to make sure you're unmuted here. Hold on. Go ahead. I absolutely have made a pledge um, not to take any dark money. That would be real estate money, any corporate money. Uh, all of my donations are small donations from individuals who believe in my work and believe that I will go to DC as a true revolutionary. And so the second part of your question, absolutely we we see what happens when politicians are bought we see what happens when we bring in tons of trucks into our community that's already in asthma alley we see that people's districts are losing housing excessively while they're continuing to take real estate dollars uh of course when we get to dc what's going to stop you from selling out the people What's going to stop lobbyists from coming with bills that are already prepared to destroy your community? So um, my records are pretty clear and cut and dry. And as a former financial advisor who served black and brown people to create retirement plans, to create college savings and generational wealth, I can never sell out my community. And in my capacity at Black Lives Matter Greater New York, I've never and we've never taken any government funding any corporate dollars, every single thing raised, including the People's Food Program, where we are going and feeding people door to door in the Bronx, including immigrants and undocumented. It's all grassroots. It's all click. It's all cash at Finmo. Every single thing I do is about mobilizing and empowering people. Thank you, Mr. Rodriguez. Over to you. And uh, I, I kind of rephrased the question or, or just repeated the question in, in quicker terms. Um, 
But if anybody needs the question again, like I said before, please let us know and I'll kick it back to Parker for the question. Mr. Rodriguez, go ahead. The most important source of, of donation that I have are our immigrants and the working class and anyone that believes that the future of the Bronx should be based about turning the 15th Congressional District, a district where the working class will live with, live with dignity, with a path to take the children to be middle class. That's what I have done in Northern Manhattan. For the first time, all the school in the school district six, public data, they are in good performance in reading, writing, math, and science. Robotic technology. That's the same thing that I would do when I will get elected here as the next Congress member in the 15th congressional seat. Those contributions that I gave from my working class people and others who believe in the best future of the Bronx is again one more time who allow me also to get the support that I got in February last year. I ended with this in the second place for, on the public advocate race last year. And it's not about one particular area. I got 5,500 votes in the last February election because the donors that I have are working class, they are immigrants, they are Garifuno, they are African, you. they're Asian, they're Italian, they're Latin. Thank you, Mr. Blake. First, I just want to say, um, before I answer your question, uh, I have no idea who has the audacity of calling people a nigger in the chain. But for whoever is doing that, you should be disgusted for the actions of what you're communicating. Uh, it is offensive to not just a black person, but it should be offensive to everyone here. Uh, Mr. And it is something yeah. that we should make sure to be conscious of. Mr. Blake's referring to the chat uh, from the Zoom. Uh, somebody's doing some disgusting things in there. We tried to leave the chat open uh, you know, to let people throw things in there, but some people have done some very disgusting things. So, uh, Jared, I'll let you decide if you want to just shut that chat down or we want to keep it open for a few more minutes. Uh, oh, it looks like Jared's shutting it down. All right. Thank you, uh, Mr. Blake, for, for mentioning that. You know, uh, unfortunate that, that something like that would, would happen, uh, and whoever did it should be uh, obviously ashamed of themselves. Uh, go ahead, Mr. Blake. I'm going to start your time now. Thank you. All of us who are running for this seat are doing this because we care about our home. And we just have different visions on how we want to get there. And when we're talking through the question around contributions, we made the pledge of not taking any fossil fuel money and also being very mindful of any money that comes in that feels uh, inappropriate, obviously, to return that. But I want to be very clear with the question also around housing is tied to this, because when we talk about developers, there's a big difference between the community groups that are doing the work on the ground, like Anos Kadamos, who does phenomenal work, or the large developers that won't pay quality wages here. We think about the work that's happening in this district. It's also around infrastructure because of the carpenters and painters and others who have endorsed us, because whoever wins this seat, hopefully it is us, has to be thinking about how do we have that protection. So what are we doing? I called for the cancellation of rent, commercial and residential, while we are in this pandemic, while equally saying that we should use security deposits to pay rent right now if someone's unable to do that. I called for neighborhood basic income instead of area median income, because it makes no sense that Westchester and Rockland and other counties are being impacted in terms of the affordability in our own community. There has to be accountability when it comes to opportunity zones. 
so that you don't have large individuals from the finance sector being able to profit and be able to push out our black and brown and Asian communities. But there also has to be the peace bed in everyone around student loan forgiveness. Now people are asking why would that be relevant? Because at the end of the day, we have to make it easier for all of our sisters and brothers that are going to school, especially for the five colleges that are within this district, to have the chance to have affordable housing. So all these pieces are intertwined, and I thank you for the question again at Break for Congress.NYC. Mr. Basora, any fundraising pledges? Uh, if not, why not? Uh, and, and what's your uh, general stance on, on how uh, campaign donations impact uh, candidates and elected officials? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, so as, as for one of the questions, can a politician be swayed by donors? I think absolutely yes, uh, even if not intentional. I think that as politicians and as aspiring politicians and leaders, we need to recognize uh, that we're stepping into this structure that's been created for a long time. And that big money is very much a part of that structure. And that big money has had very much its place in keeping our people down and in harming our communities. Um, from the very beginning, I, it was very important to me that in the, one of the most vulnerable areas and districts in our country, in the most low income district, uh, that I am very careful about money, that I would rather take the donation of a space, um, the donation of someone's time, rather than succumb to just a lot of what we've been seeing in politics. And I think that's particularly and especially the case, and it needs to be the case in the Bronx. Um, I personally do not feel comfortable with people uh, who 15 years ago did not care about our borough, 15 years ago didn't care about our community, but are now stepping in um, and contributing and very much trying to sway the vote of some of the most vulnerable people um, and disenfranchised people in our country. So, uh, so yes, I, I think that money in politics, and again, as politicians, it's not our fault, it's um, structural, but it is something that we do need to lead by example. I'll leave it that I'm able to answer the question. Am I next or? Ben? about that. Yes, sorry about that. Uh, uh, over to you, Mr. Torres. Yes, sorry about that. Thank you, Ben. So, so I've taken a no corporate PAC pledge. You know, I've been running under the campaign finance system historically at the city system where corporate contributions are prohibited. So I decided to apply that pledge to my congressional campaign. And as a result, I won the support of End Citizens United, which is a champion of campaign finance reform nationwide. And I'm proud to be part of a city council. And this is true of Melissa, it's true of Yadonis. Uh, the city council has passed the strongest campaign finance reforms in the country. The system we have in New York City is the gold standard. And if we had that system in Washington, D.C., we would certainly have a cleaner system. Okay, we'll go uh, to Ms. Lopez. Uh, you're up. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. It's so important to take big money out of politics. In our campaign, I'm very, very proud of the fact that we've rejected real estate developer money with a history of preying on our communities. We restricted corporate PAC money, pharmaceutical money, charter school money, fossil fuel money, because this district is experiencing a gentrification and a displacement crisis. And money and politics go hand in hand. 
So we can't send representatives to Washington that are in the pocket of Rodney and the real estate developer industry because it's just going to accelerate the displacement of our communities because you can't have your cake and eat it too. So in our race, we've raised 7,000. We have 7,500 individual donations and over 80% of our donations are small dollar donations. And that's given us independence uh, to fight for the issues that matter. And I don't have a history of taking uh, you know, money from racist players like Daniel Loeb, like you unfortunately Richie have done um, in your race. So I challenge all of the corporate Democrats that are here on this panel to return all the real estate developer donations, all the corporate PAC donations, so that we can you know, have a race that's aligned with the values of the community and respect the housing justice movement space so that we can be real advocates and fighters in Washington so that we can fight for a homes guarantee and fight against a real estate developer community that's pushing our communities out and making us invisible. So we need to you know, you. destroy the corruptive force of big money and politics in our democracy once and for all. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Torres, you were mentioned by name there and it's right after you went, so it's not gonna come back around to you for a while. Do you wanna take uh, just 20 seconds, please, to, to respond if you'd like to? Um, no, I'm except to congratulate Sally. She's run an impressive campaign and has an impressive base of small donors, and I respect that as a, an elected official. So, okay, thank you. So uh, we're going to come back to Mr. Ramos here uh, to start his answer to the question. Yeah. So our campaign took a pledge: uh, no fossil fuel money, corporate PAC money, uh, real estate money. But there's something even more important that nobody's talking about, and obviously, we're in the worst crisis of our lifetime. When the pandemic started to hit New York City, our campaign suspended all fundraising activity. We have not raised, we have not actively raised a dollar since the pandemic. All the efforts that we have been doing was to bring financial resources to our community, the most impoverished congressional district in the community, in, our, in the entire country. And we assured that every dollar that we are gonna uh, secure is for our community, for the people. Nobody else in this race has done that. People had fundraisers last night. People are actively continuing to fundraise for their campaign while people are dying in our community. And that's disgusting. And that's, and I said this campaign is about character. It's about character. That shows you the character that these candidates are at a time where, where we have thousands and thousands of people that are continuing to die. People are struggling in our communities. And this race should be about character and what you're going to do when a pandemic happened. I've done it. I've stopped uh, seeking financial contributions for my campaign, and I've actively seeked any, any kind of contributions for our community with ICU beds, bed capacity. I'm sorry, I haven't um, fundraised anything. So now, we say that all candidates have. It's not, it's not your, it's not your you. turn. Sorry, we're just going to uh, have you finish up. You have about 15 but, more yeah, seconds. People are still sending emails out. People are still making phone calls at a time where our community is getting hit the hardest in the entire country, if not the entire world. That is disgusting. And our campaign will not actively seek contributions moving forward. Any anything we're going to seek moving forward is for our community because every single person deserves better. Thank, Thank you. you. And to, to round out this round, uh, before we kick it back to Daniel for the next question, Ms. Mark Rivrito on the question of fundraising, pledges, and money in politics. Over to you. So I am not accepting real estate developer money, corporate PAC money, uh, fossil fuel money. 
Um, and I think that when we talk about New York City, right, we have the strongest campaign finance program in the country. We've talked about the need to have that at a state level or federal level, but there is no such program that limits the influence of money in politics uh, at the state level or at the federal level. So that is why I decided to make a very conscious decision uh, to reject certain types of money, right? P predominantly all the ones that in, in some cases have been mentioned here, as you said about fossil fuel, corporate PAC, real estate developer. Um, and I think it's because of, again, that we don't have that type of a structure at a federal level. So the decision to not accept that money is a real testament to what your values are and what your emphasis and your focus will be, which is on the people of the 15th Congressional District. So to me, that's highly important. And yes, uh, we do have an undue influence of corporate interests in our politics today. It needs to be flushed out. I mean, it needs to be flushed out. It needs to be uprooted. Um, and that to me is really important at this moment in time when we're talking about creating systemic change to deal with the systemic racism that is deeply embedded in policies that have been uh, that have been at the receiving end, right, of this congressional district. And that has to change. That has to be the focus. There's no time to be dilly-dallying um, or to be tiptoeing, you know, and, and around the edges. This is really serious. We are in a crisis in this moment in time. Uh, and I think that where we get our money from is truly reflective of where our interests are, uh, which for me Thank is you. deeply in the constituents of the 15th Congressional District. Thank you. And so that brings us to the end of that round. Uh, I want to thank Parker Quinlan, who's asked a couple questions now. Uh, Parker is with uh, Hunts Point Express and Mott Haven Herald, and encourage everybody, of course, to uh, read his work and the work of, of those publications uh, and all local news sources, especially in this district that everyone is buying to represent. Uh, speaking of local news sources, of course, is City Limits, uh, another host of the event, and we're going to kick it over to uh, Daniel Para of City Limits for uh, a second question from Daniel. Go ahead, Daniel. Hey, so housing is a major uh, issue in this district. Uh, so from affordability to a state of public housing to availability of quality housing. So we would like to know what's your housing plan first and please be sure to include what you believe needs to be done about NYCHA. So we're starting this round with uh, Mr. Rodriguez, then we'll go to Mr. Blake and so on. Uh, the question, of course, as you just heard, is about housing and what you would do and be sure, please, to include at least a part of your answer about NYCHA. Go ahead, Mr. Rodriguez. Definitely, uh, housing is a crisis. And as someone that when I came here in 1983 as an immigrant that came from the Dominican Republic, I came to live at 124 Sherman Avenue, five brothers and sisters, five boys, five brothers living together with my mom and my dad. We know what it is to live in overcrowded apartments. Recently, when we came out with this, put the story out, about 12 people living together in one apartment, one of them is still in the hospital dealing with the coronavirus. Uh, we, know what, we know what overcrowded is all about. And when we see most of the people dying because of the, of the coronavirus being in the Bronx, North Manhattan, and other poor neighborhoods, it's about housing. So definitely we will bring more money. And I will be sure that in, in the federal stimulus package to be discussed now, there should be money for housing in order to provide more space for New Yorkers and Americans to live in decent apartments. But also I have a resolution at the council that is calling to support my colleague in Congress which I would do follow with Congressman Serrano too, that is calling to reduce funding 
to the military and use more money for affordable housing, education, and other social services. Yo tengo un proyecto de ley en el Consejo Municipal apoyando a congresistas, un tema que yo lo voy a tomar, que llama que se reduzca el presupuesto militar para que haga más dinero para construir vivienda asequible. With the NYCHA, everyone who lives in the public housing, my mom lives in one of those. I did my survey in the public housing in 2009, 108 in Lexington, and still my mom, 90 years old, she lives in the diamond houses. So I know what it is to visit my mom, to see my mom, dealing with a Thank lot you. of challenges, lack of cleaning, I will bring the resources to improve, to improve the quality of life in the NYCHA residents. Thank you. Mr. Blake, housing and in particular NYCHA. You know, it, it's impossible to tell people to social distance when you have five, six, seven in a home right now. Uh, and housing is very personal for me. You know, I, when I grew up at Creston and Burnside within this district, you know, we sold dinners to pay our rent. You know, my mother was homeless in Jamaica. She slept on church pews. Uh, and when we think about also the connection of this between this housing crisis and what's going on now with coronavirus, you know, it's hard for us to tell a child uh, that they're going to take a test at a school in the fall when not everyone's had access to a COVID-19 test right now. So on housing, what have we done and what will we do? We secured funding for LGBT housing, specifically through SAGE, to be the first in the city effort to make sure we provide that opportunity for our older uh, seniors that are LGBTQ. Veterans housing, because why should you serve in the country and then come back home and sleep on the street? Uh, which is why we've been amplifying the work when it comes to our veterans as well. I'm the chair of the Mitchell-Lama subcommittee uh, in the state, uh, state assembly, which is why we secured funding for Concourse Village for Mailbox and Key Fobs and Woodstock Terrace as well. For NYCHA, we have to, on the federal level, get at least $32 billion when it comes to what's going on as relates to mold and, and heat and hot water. When Andrew Jackson houses had the lack of hot water two weeks ago, uh, it was unacceptable, which is why Danny Barber, the chair of the Citywide Council of Presidents, endorsed our campaign. People need to go to jail who have run NYCHA. It's been absolutely unacceptable. We have to empower our tenant associations with the NYCHA and also close out the ticket orders faster. What have I done and what will we do even further? Neighborhood basic income instead of area median income, as well as lead remediation. Why is it easier to get unleaded gas than lead-free paint? Which is why I secured $100 million last year in the state assembly to make sure we focus on lead remediation Thank in you. collaboration with the federal monitor. That's the- Thank you, Mr. Basora, over to you. Hi, uh, yes, thank you. Uh, so I believe that, uh, and we believe that permanent, secured, reliable, and dignified housing um, is a human right. You know, housing is very personal to me. I, so I grew up on the Grand Concourse, uh, and our family was led by a single mother. Um, and we, part of our trajectory is having experienced uh, housing insecurity, having experienced the system in New York City that, that, that uh, places uh, families into housing. I wanna give a very special shout out to Fox House in East Harlem. They home single mothers and children and they are an incredible place in New York City. Um, I think that our nation needs a homes guarantee legislation. Again, housing needs to become a human right, especially for low income and working class Americans. Uh, I believe in the full state and federal funding of NYCHA. NYCHA needs to become a priority for the federal government. We have, the federal government has the resources and the money, but it's a matter of making sure that someone there is very much pushing those boundaries. 
Um, I am, I would be, I'm very wary of privatizing NYCHA. I think that that brings its complications that affects our tenants. Uh, and in Congress, you know, our vision is very much to work with everyone to lift, to making sure that housing uh, is prioritized. I believe in uh, Harris's Fair Chance and Housing Act of 2019, along with many other different legislations that have been proposed. Uh, but yes, I think that to be an American is to have a home. And I think that that's very important. Sorry, over to you, Mr. Torres, go ahead. Thank you, Ben. So the, the affordability crisis is the greatest challenge here in New York City. More than half the residents in the South Bronx pay more than half their income toward their rent. And that was before the outbreak of the coronavirus. Um, you know, I know several candidates, families in particular, have spoken about being homeless. You know, I would have been homeless were it not for public housing and the stability it gave me and my family. I see NYCHA housing as the greatest safety net of affordable housing in the United States. And it's been the central mission of my life to preserve public housing. It's been so savagely defunded historically at every level of government that the state of public housing is demolition by neglect. Uh, the chairperson of NYCHA estimates that we need $40 billion worth of capital needs in order to bring NYCHA into a state of good repair. But it's not enough to rebuild it in the same form. There's a historic opportunity to make NYCHA the greenest city in America. We can build um, so solar panels, we can reskin public housing, we can electrify the heating systems, right? NYCHA can become the gold standard of affordable housing development and energy efficiency and climate justice with the right amount of investment. I'm also a, a, a huge supporter of the Section 8 program. Every family in need should have access to a housing voucher that ensures that you pay no more than 30% of your income toward your rent. And if you have no income at all, then the government should fully subsidize your rent. It's the most powerful tool for creating affordable housing for those Thank who need it. Thank you. Ms. Lopez on housing and particularly NYCHA. That's something that's near and dear to my heart just because I experienced homelessness uh, for years before I came to the Bronx. So we need a homes guarantee, like straight up. We need to decommodify housing. We need to take the profit element out of building housing. We need to target speculative land practices that artificially inflate the cost of rent and displace our communities. We need to once again revisit the conversation with big money in politics because that has an impact on our ability to advocate to the greatest extent. I am totally against the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program, which the acronym for that is RAD. So we need to preserve our housing stock and we need to call out low-hanging fruit uh, in the form of Governor Cuomo right now that's holding millions and millions of dollars from the NYCHA space, in addition to fighting for what we need at the federal level for NYCHA to get its due, we also need to look at the city and the state government and mount a coordinated effort so that NYCHA can get the funding that the residents need to leave their lives with dignity. So we need to, you know, again, decommodify housing. We need to, um, you know, you know, figure out like the low hanging fruit uh, that's there and take guidance from the housing justice for all coalition, the housing justice movement space, which was instrumental in creating the most progressive pro-tenant rent reform laws that New York State has seen in a generation. So the kind of political leadership that this district deserves is one that is being willing to be led by a movement so that we can create the right political conditions so that the housing movement can take precedence in New York State and in the rest of the country. 
Thank you. Mr. Ramos, over to you on your housing plan and particularly NYCHA. No, hold on one second. Hello. Go ahead. Uh, no, so everybody's uh, once you know uh, politicized NYCHA all of a sudden when the disinvestment has been going on since the uh, Ronald Reagan years. Uh, so every every politician, every elected official uh, that has been in office had the opportunity to do so, but now that you know NYCHA is in the forefront, it's everybody's you know political talking points. As the only person that's actually worked inside of a NYCHA you know center, community center for four years. I know firsthand what our families are going through. Um, I tell you this right now, the majority of people out in the chat wouldn't last a day working in a NYCHA facility. Why? Because our communities are going through the struggle on an everyday basis. You know, our young people, a child that's born in NYCHA is born into poverty and the cycle is continuing to repeat itself. And nobody has created the infrastructure to actually break that cycle. Uh, for me as a community educator and organizer, I've done the work. I created the, uh, the first tech center in public housing. Why? I identified a problem, a problem that we don't have broadband in 2020. That's a problem. COVID-19 has shown our community, has shown the, all of our issues and shown all of our problems right here. It is clear. We need someone that has been doing the work, someone that has results. It's not talking Thank about you. when they get there. That's another thing right now. We need, we, we need, um, we need a, a, a results right now, not tomorrow. Thank so you. Miss Mark Riverito, over to you on housing and particularly NYCHA. Yes, well, thank you so much. So, you know, as, as others have indicated, and I fully do support uh, the Homes Guarantee, and I've signed on to that as, as someone who supports it, you know, I, I believe that we need to get rid of the Opportunity Zone, which is basically in place right now. Um, also, basically, I believe in like Julian Castro had some great points in his housing plan about having. Uh, entitlement program, be you know, Section 8, be in subsidies, uh, vouchers, be a, an entitlement program in our budget that anyone who needs it and, and needs can access it. That's truly important. I'm very supportive of community land trust as a way of community developing community wealth, community ownership. Uh, that is something that I supported as speaker, and now we see land trust across the city of New York. Uh, and at a time when it was not sexy to support NYCHA, going back to 2006, when I came into the city council under Bloomberg, there was almost no investment. I believe it was zero investment from the city of New York into public housing uh, to a point where we saw historic record investment uh, in public housing, not only at the city, but at the state level due to local advocacy, what some of which I believe I led. I'm very proud of that work. Now, is it enough? Obviously not. We need to have a trust fund that is invested in every year where there is dedicated amount of monies every year into that trust fund to deal with the capital improvements that are needed in public housing. It is a priority. As has been said, NYCHA is the cornerstone. Public housing is the cornerstone of affordable housing in this city and in this country. And we need to do everything possible to defend it and continue to invest in it. That is a commitment that I've demonstrated. That is Thank a commitment you. that I continue to have. Thank you. And to close out this round on housing, we're going to Ms. Newsom. Then we're going to go to Sierra for the final uh, question of the night before closing statements. So this will round out this round. We have two more rounds to go, but they'll both be uh, one-minute answers each. Uh, but we want to round out, of course, on housing and NYCHA with Ms. Newsom. Go ahead. Oh, let's make sure you're unmuted. Hold on one sec. Ah. 
I had my hand raised for a while before I start my question. I just like to thank Michael Blake um, for getting the chat shut it down and for taking a stand when someone used the N word. And as the only black woman who's been in this race a long time, I sympathize and understand the discrimination that we experience. So that's why it allows us to help other marginalized people. Now, to get to your question in terms of NYCHA and affordable housing, um, I am a housing justice advocate for all. I fought against some of the most powerful people in politics in New York State, taking bullhorns and protesters to their office to get the New York State Tenant Protection Act because 100 people in the Bronx were getting evicted per day. Now, real affordable housing is one of the cornerstones of my platform, and it's something that we truly need. Yes, uh, I, I was never homeless. And you don't have to be homeless to understand that housing is a human right. If you were born and raised and currently live in the Bronx, you understand the struggles when you speak to the people and that's their biggest worry. That's why I called at the beginning of the COVID pandemic to cancel rent. Uh, but in terms of what I'll do once I'm elected to office, I think what's needed is to fully fund NYCHA from a federal level, because we see that New York State has dropped the ball in the last passing of the budget where there was no money for NYCHA. Also to have federal guidelines, because yes, we're looking at it from the angle of the Bronx, but people who live in rural areas as well are facing a housing crisis. So we need to set certain standards. We need to put developers to a national standard to where if they can, if they want to build something in an area, it has to meet the median income. The median income in this district is $28,000 per year, as opposed to the whole city calculations, which is 73. We need someone who's conscious of that and someone who's worked on that. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect timing with the end of, uh, of your time there. And that's actually a really good segue into our final question. There will be closing statements after this round, but our final question, uh, Ms. Newsom just mentioned uh, uh, income in the district and uh, Sierra is back with us uh, for our final question, which is about jobs. Oh, hold on, Sierra. We have to un unmute you here. Go ahead. For a long time, the Bronx has gone unrecognized for its deep historical roots and community organizing efforts. How will you gain more jobs for this community, as well as why is it so important to you to add to District 15's history? Okay, thank you, Sierra. So we're gonna start this round uh, with uh, Mr. Blake and uh, go to Mr. Basura and then uh, Mr. Torres. Uh, Mr. Blake on bringing jobs to the district and enriching the district's history, if you can, uh, if you can try to make that uh, work. We are tired of hearing that we are in the poorest congressional district. It's time to go from pain to promise. And specifically, our vision has to be now, in the words of Brian Stevenson, the opposite of poverty is not wealth, the opposite of poverty is justice. So our entire vision is a jobs and justice vision. And thank you, Sierra, for your question. Uh, first, we need to think through how do we have and implement a minority women business bill of rights on the federal level, because as we saw in this uh, federal relief bill, many of our businesses, and particularly our restaurants, did not get the support and funding that they needed. We have to make sure we focus on community development financial institutions so that local and regional banks like Spring Bank and Ponte Bank that are helping our people on the ground actually get the resources they need. It's the reason why the main piece of legislation I was able to achieve in the state assembly around this issue was making it so that businesses got paid in 15 days instead of 30 days. Because the faster you get paid, the faster your employees get paid. 
there also has to be the justice agenda of making sure that we have workers' rights and making sure our unions are being protected. As we continue to see through Janus and other actions, unions being attacked every single day. But this is also tied, Ben and Sierra, around healthcare, which we have not spent enough time around. Because as someone who was born with a heart murmur, someone whose father was an 1199 member, someone who saw what's happening here, the health disparities are tied to the economic disparities. So while we need to bring more job opportunities here, while we need to raise the wages, while there has to be a, a federal minimum of $15 and beyond, we have to make sure we make it easier to protect our health care and address the economic disparities at the same time. We do not want to be called poor anymore. We want to be known as rich in resources. That is who we are. That is why we believe in the Bronx. And that is my vision of what we want to achieve when we get to Congress. Thank you, Mr. Basora. Yes. So I, I am a big believer in the federal jobs guarantee legislation. Uh, I think that the Bronx needs um, is a federal jobs guarantee legislation that caters and focuses on lower on low income and vulnerable families. I think that having a job in America um, should not be a privilege, uh, but a right. Uh, and it is how we help families uh, escape poverty and, and lift themselves. Um, I believe in, in empowering and protecting uh, our borough's small businesses. Uh, I think that in Congress, what's part of our, what our vision is, is to make sure that we give the small businessmen and women in the Bronx the tools uh, to continue succeeding. A lot of the way that the economy in the Bronx works is that it's very much divorced from the national economy. And our people have responded by building their own economy. So I think that we need to continue to empower that. Uh, we need to protect small, we need to protect beauty salons. We need to protect taxi drivers. We need to protect just very much the jobs that are, that, that, um, are going by the wayside and that the federal government is not prioritizing. Uh, so yes, we address poverty in NY15 by making sure that holding a job uh, is a right. Thank you. Uh, we're gonna go to Mr. Torres. The, the story of the South Bronx is a story of struggle, but it's also a story of overcoming. I mean, even before there was a Green New Deal, the South Bronx had a rich, iconic tradition of environmental justice. The greatest legacy of Jose Serrano was the cleanup of the Bronx River. And so I would be honored to continue that legacy as a congressperson, you know, there's only one formula for lifting a country out of a depression. It's public investment. We need a reinvestment in America on the scale of the great society, the New Deal. We have to green infrastructure. It is an opportunity to create the next generation of jobs, to revitalize the labor movement, to provide a just transition to those who have been displaced. And, and one thing that I truly care about is vocational schooling. You know, I think we have to rethink this notion that everyone has to go to a four-year traditional liberal arts college and learn Shakespeare. Some people prefer a trade. Some people prefer developing a skill and financial assistance like a Pell Grant should be every bit as available to vocational schooling as it is to traditional liberal arts education. Thank you, Ms. Lopez on jobs and uh, the, the district's rich history. Yeah, uh, definitely. So we absolutely need to fight for a federal jobs guarantee. Um, we need to generate living wage jobs through a homes guarantee, through a Green New Deal for NYCHA. 
we need to make sure that we educate our youth, the next generation, to access the jobs of the future, which is in this green infrastructure space. We also need to invest in worker cooperatives so that the community can have a sense of control over the job creation process. Um, you know, we need to continue to raise the minimum wage. And we can't be so desperate for economic development that we bring companies like Amazon to the community, like many of the elected officials that are sitting here in this debate tonight have signed off on. Amazon, you know, is a bad actor. They don't pay their fair share in taxes. They have um, a collaboration with ICE that terrorizes our communities. So, you know, economic development is a good thing and worker cooperatives are a good thing, but we have to bring economic development in a way that centers the values and the needs of our communities. Bringing companies like Amazon into the mix is not the way to go. So, you know, we need to invest in, you know, a living wage, um, you know, worker cooperatives, a federal jobs guarantee, and look to the Homes Guarantee and uh, the Green New Deal of NYCHA so that we can identify uh, local hiring practices in the community and identify local people to access those jobs and rebuild the community. Thank you. Mr. Ramos, over to you. Mr. Ramos. There we go. So I fully, I fully support uh, a, a federal jobs guarantee. I also support Saving Our Street Act um, that Congresswoman Presley and Senator Harris have introduced. Uh, our small businesses are, are the backbone of our communities. Right now they're getting hit the hardest. Uh, I believe many will not be able to reopen. As someone that has worked in small businesses, worked in hospitality, I know they're, they're hurting and they employ so many people. Uh, so we have to also look at private-public partnerships, um, and what does that look like for the future? Uh, we are, we're going to need a lot, of, uh, a lot of financial resources, a lot of partnerships and collaboration on getting the private sector involved in helping our low-income communities and uh, job creation. What does that look like? We don't have to make Amazon an en enemy. What we could do is uh, sit down with Amazon and say, if you want to come to our community, uh, well, why don't you lay down the infrastructure and invest in public housing and invest in tech center, vocational schools, and now we can start doing workforce development in our communities and then start building a pipeline. Uh, and I was already doing that as a uh, community educator and organizer. When I get to Congress, I will start laying down the groundwork right now. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Mark Viverito, over to you on jobs. Uh, Sierra, thank you for the question. I think when you talk about the history of struggle uh, and activism, all you have to do is look at the history of the young lords, right, that took over Lincoln Hospital uh, to make sure that tuberculosis and lead detection was happening in a community that was being severely neglected. That is, and many other struggles and, and examples of that. When we talk about uplifting communities, <clears throat> I talk, I've talked about the historic and systemic inequity, uh, which the Bronx and the 15th district have been recipients of for decades. Uh, when you talk about the platform that I've been speaking to and alluding to that I support and embrace, right? No, uh, uh, a minimum wage of no less than $15 an hour is critical when you're talking about um, uplifting communities. Healthcare for all. I believe in Medicare for all. That's something that's my part of my platform. We've talked about a homes guarantee and when we talk about quality housing and dignified housing. When we talk about environmental justice, right, and also the issue of the Green New Deal and new jobs that can be created out that quality jobs. Uh, when you look at all of that together in fighting for that and making that a priority is a way that we're going to ensure 
uh, that we level that playing field and create greater equality for everyone. Uh, and when you talk also about education and affording an opportunity where kids are not saddled with uh, thousands and tens of thousands of dollars of debt, providing free quality education, uh, K through 12 and beyond. And so to me, those are all the reasons why I believe in that. And that obviously quality jobs is part of that conversation, but the minimum wage, uh, which obviously is nowhere near where it needs to be, needs to be on one of those key aspects and priorities of this, of this campaign as well. Thank you. Ms. Newsom, over to you. Um, I think it's really difficult to talk about um, a federal jobs guarantee as we see the nearly 36 million people who are currently unemployed. Uh, also, as we approach the fourth industrial revolution, the way that we work is going to drastically change, meaning automation is going to come, meaning that most of the people who are essential workers now who do the tasks and jobs that we so heavily rely on, they are going to be out of work and the wealth gap will increase. Uh, we need to find new ways to help people through this new time that we've never seen before. Uh, first, universal basic income, which I've supported and done marches on. That's a way to kind of lighten the blow, and I'm happy that everyone's jumped on it as we've approached this pandemic. But also, we need to move into greener jobs, as we've discussed here on this debate tonight about environmental injustice. We need to find a way to train people to do new work that will be beneficial to them, meaning solar farms, urban farming, so we, did, we can create ourselves. We need innovative ideas and relying on the same policy titles that most people probably will not enact if they were to be elected. It's just not going to help the people of the Bronx or the people of this great nation. Thank you. And to close out this round, we have uh, Mr. Rodriguez. And just so people can start getting prepared, after Mr. Rodriguez talks about uh, jobs and the district's history, we're going to move into one minute long closing statement. So we'll finish just after eight o'clock. Uh, pretty good uh, for everybody. Um, uh, and those closing statements will start with Mr. Basora and go around until we finish with uh, Mr. Blake. We'll, we'll get the last word. Uh, this was all done by random drawing. And then we went in the order after that. So Mr. Rodriguez, uh, why don't you finish uh, the round on jobs and the district's history? And then I'll move us into closing statements. But go ahead, please, sir. Well, when I will win this election, go to DC in June 23rd, I promise you that I will connect all the effort of housing, education, and good pay jobs. And I will do exactly what I have done developing my Northern Manhattan community when it comes to technology. I challenge all my colleagues in government to compare numbers and the sitting state of the performance of a school in my district which all of them are in good standards on technology and robotic connected. No one of my colleagues can say the same thing or the district that I have represent of connecting technology, doing robotics. I'm very proud to say that the school that I was a co-founder, Gregorio Luperon High School, with a robotic program, not only they won a state competition on robotic, they run by Samsung and finalized for the nationwide competition. But look, school through school, not in Manhattan. They are all doing technology. I'm happy to say that in the top of my advisor, I have former dean of the School of Engineering, Penioski Peñamora from Columbia University, a former dean of City College, Professor Joseph Barba, and number other deans of technology that they're ready to say, we will put a 20, 30 year plan for the Bronx to be sure that we create good paid jobs around technology, 
Also, we will be sure that we build affordable housing. We will be sure that all the schools get a good quality education. When we look at, the, at this 15 congressional district and being the poorest one for the last 30 years, there's a lot of people responsible. I would challenge the, the Yankee Stadium to donate 10% of the revenue to create good paid jobs in the surrounding community. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we're going to move to closing statements. As I said, we're going to start with uh, Mr. Basora. Uh, I just want to take a minute uh, to quickly, uh, we're going to have a couple of thank yous at the end. So hopefully everybody who's still watching with us, we've got many, many people on Facebook and we've had well over a hundred on Zoom as well where I'm looking. Um, but uh, I do want to take a minute to thank everybody who's been watching. We're going to move to closing statements and then just a couple quick uh, comments after the closing statements. But I want to thank uh, certainly Sierra, who just asked uh, her second question. That's uh, Sierra Straker, who's 16 years old, a high school student, lives in this congressional district and is an activist with action, activists coming to inform our neighborhood, uh, which is the Points Youth Organizing Program. Sierra, thanks so much for your participation and questions and organizing. Uh, so let's go to to our closing statements. And Mr. Basura, uh, we're going to start with you. Uh, one minute, everybody, please. Uh, I'll try to give you a quick uh, low-key thank you as you hit a minute if you get there. Uh, thank you, by the way. I want to thank everyone who was uh, a part of this, the viewers, the panelists, uh, the organizations, um, and the press. You know, who we are in the Bronx is resilient people, some of the most powerful people uh, that our country has seen. And I'm running for Congress because I think that it's time for Washington, D.C. to feel our power. Uh, I want to make the Bronx, I want to make the Bronx a leader uh, in our nation. Uh, we want to make sure that we pass a homes guarantee legislation. We want to make sure that jobs for our families is a right and not only a privilege. We want to make sure uh, that our people have the same opportunity as everyone else and that historically uh, we can fix the wrongs of our country. Uh, this is very much a people's campaign. This is very much a, a Bronx people's campaign. Um, and I'm very proud of our efforts. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening to us. And, and yeah, you can, you can find more information on us on frangelbasora2020.com. Thank you. And over to you, Mr. Torres, for your closing statement. No, thank you, Ben. Look, I, I've been in the city council for seven years. I've been an effective public servant. I held the first ever city council hearing in a public housing development, which helped pave the way for a $3 billion FEMA investment in public housing. I partnered with Housing Rights Initiative to expose the corruption of Jared Kushner and the Trump family. But more than my record, I have lived experience. You know, the struggles of the South Bronx are not an abstraction to me. I'm someone who has struggled with depression, who has family in the criminal justice system, who grew up in poverty with a single mother. And, you know, I'm an elected office and often elected officials do get out of touch. And I often depend on my mother to hold me accountable and to make sure that I never forget where I come from. You know, nothing has been handed to me on a civil platter. I've had to fight for everything I have in my life and I will fight my heart out for the South Bronx. Thank you. And over to you, Ms. Lopez, for your closing statement. Yeah, so thank you so much for organizing this debate. Um, our platform and our campaign is inspired by the Young Lords and the Black Panthers. 
Um, it's time that we move away from describing the South Bronx as the poorest congressional district in the Bronx. I think we're much more than that. We're resilient, we're strong. Uh, you know, our campaign video not only talked a little bit about our, uh, my personal story, but it was also the South Bronx that we wanted to elevate as part of that conversation and give it, you know, like the beauty um, and the respect and the dignity that it deserves. Um, so look, you've heard from a lot of people here tonight, but at the end of the day, I'm the only one who's grown up in the homeless shelter system. I've lived uh, in the streets. I spent afternoons with my mom in a sweatshop and I'm running for Congress without healthcare because I can't afford it. And I'm from the Bronx. I've never left the Bronx. I'm not from Manhattan. I'm not from Queens. I'm not from anywhere else. I'm from the South Bronx and I will lead that way in Congress. I you know, have built housing in the community that some of the people on this panel have signed off on. So I have experience in affordable housing development, affordable housing finance. Thank you. And that's driven by my personal experiences of living in the shelter system. And I promise you that if I win this race, I will fight for homes guarantee unapologetically and put the lives of the community first and continue to reject big money in politics. Mr. Ramos, over to you for your closing statement. A la comunidad latina, le prometo ser el luchador que se merecen. Si quieren un representante que les va a defender siempre, cuenta conmigo. Si quieren sangre nueva, alguien que no va a ser un político de carrera, votan, votan por mí. Hoy en día estamos en la peor crisis de nuestra vida. La peor. Vamos a ver la gente que han actuado, acciones con resultados. Ese soy el candidato yo. Acciones con resultados. We can all sit here and talk about what we're going to do in Congress. But the reality is that our, con our community needs help right now. We need someone who is a real fighter with proven results. Our community is tired of hearing what uh, candidates are going to do. It is time that we elect someone that is doing. You can find more information at tomasforcongress.com, and it'll be an honor to receive your, your vote. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Mark Viverito, over to you. Eh, le doy las gracias a todos que auspiciaron este evento y a todos los que están escuchando eh, aquí hoy. Esta es una lección importante, ya que después de 30 años de servicio, el congresista Serrano se está retirando. Así que estamos aquí tratando de presentar nuestra plataforma y por qué ustedes deberían votar por mí. You know, we are in a critical moment in time where what we need is a fighter. Uh, and not just a fighter who's going to talk, but a fighter who has a track record of success. I am an activist and a coalition builder. I was raised within the feminist movement in Puerto Rico. I've been fighting my whole life uh, and fighting against the system, fighting against the old boys network, fighting against interests that don't want to see progressive policies that are inclusive and that uplift communities. And we have been on the receiving end of those policies that have created incredible inequity in this country and particularly in this district. So it is about systemic change. It is about uprooting racism and racist policies that continue to fuel that income inequality and that great divide. Um, and this pandemic has really shed light on that. So it is about those who are gonna fight unapologetically, who have that experience and track record of success and that are gonna take that fight to Washington. So I hope I can count on your support. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Ms. Newsom, over to you for your closing statement. It's about what the people truly want. The people of the Bronx are in a genocide. It is a war on the poor. Everyone's sitting here inspired. 
I'm out here on the front lines for seeing COVID to feed 200 people a day. You want to talk about inspired by the young lords and the Black Panther? Where is everyone besides a hashtag when black and brown men are getting beaten every day? When little Latinx ladies cannot come downstairs to go stand on food lines, is Shivana Newsom out there feeding people? When women's rights were being held to get back, when Stop the Ban, Shivana Newsom was standing in Foley Square and demanding justice. Everyone has these false promises. Everyone's pretending to be an activist, pretending what they're going to do, and it's not going to happen. You've all dreamed of being a politician. You dream of going to the White House. You dream of going to Congress, and it's just not going to happen. Most of the people in this race failed from the public advocate race. They were interns, and the party never backed them. It's time to give it up. The Bronx needs more. The Bronx needs a real fighter, a civil rights activist, and a revolutionary who has never left. And Thank that person is me. So it's time to vote Newsom for Congress so the Bronx can have some damn justice. Thank you. And Mr. Rodriguez, over to you for your closing statement. Be a progressive Congress member. Decide the conservative one to join my team. Anyone that has real number know that this election will be between myself and Reverend Deer. So if you want to stop that conservative person and be part of inclusive effort based on law and not in hate, join my team. Join the Garifono, the African, the Latino, the Asian community, the Italian community that has already joined my team. Your number, colleague, my number, know who are the leading candidates. I will be the next Congress member because when the voters voted last in February, I got close to 6,000 votes in the 15 congressional uh, uh, seats. I'm asking those 6,000 people that come back and bring another two vote each and be part of this history. Elija a un inmigrante. Elija a un educador. Thank you. Elija a alguien de 40 años trabajando sin pararse por la justicia social. Juntos vamos Thank hacia you. el Congreso. And Mr. Blake is going to round it out for us uh, with this statement. But everybody, please stick around for just one more minute uh, once we wrap up here. Mr. Blake's closing statement. Obviously, everybody uh, listening for that. And then just give us one more minute at the close. Thank you. Go ahead, Mr. Blake. Oh, hold on. There we go. It was a pandemic of poverty and racism before the coronavirus pandemic. And what we're looking at right now is, do you still believe? Do you believe in the Bronx? Do you believe in jobs and justice? These are not normal times. We've got to acknowledge that. As we're seeing people that are hurt, we're losing our friends. But FDR said courage is not the absence of fear. It's the assessment that something else is more important. So in the middle of a crisis, leadership matters. It matters who we send to Washington, everybody. I grew up in this district, born and raised, Creston and Burnside, PS 79, 118, DeWitt Clinton. I went and had the opportunity to work for President Obama. We worked on Affordable Care Act, the Recovery Act, but I came back home so we could focus on Raise the Age and My Brother's Keeper and Minority Women Owned Business and standing up. If you believe in our unions, which I'm so grateful for the endorsements of so many, 1199, 32BG, 
32BJ, DC37, RWDSU, UFCW, Carpenters, Painters, CSA, Assault, so many who have rocked with us. And of course, the nurses. Thank you for the nurses. Then join us at BlakeForCongress.nyc. If you believe that it should not be easy to have unleaded gas and lead-free paint, join us at BlakeForCongress.nyc. My family went from no house in Jamaica to the Black House in Northwestern, to the White House in DC, to the State House in Albany. Now I'm asking for you to send me to the US House in Congress. If you believe your block won't block your blessing, your zip code won't deny your destiny, go to BlakeForCongress.nyc. My name is Miguel Blake, and I'm asking for your vote on June 23rd. Thank you, and thank you all eight candidates for participating tonight. Thank you, everyone who's been watching on Zoom, Facebook, everyone who's been listening on the Spanish translation line. We really appreciate it. We appreciate everybody participating. Uh, I want to thank all the candidates for, for making it a, a pretty smooth event and for sharing all your thoughts with everybody. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure making sure that we could do this event. I want to make sure as much as we can during this terrible time, voting is happening in June, everybody, so people should be ready to vote. Uh, we want to make sure to get information out to people. And that's, of course, what all the organizations here are doing. Uh, thank you, candidates. Thank you, City Limits. Jarrett Murphy, who I'm going to kick to now for one more final thought. Jarrett did so much to organize this and make it happen. So thank you, Jarrett. And thank you, City Limits, for, for making this happen. And over to you, Jarrett, for the final thought. Thanks very much, Ben. Thanks to you, our moderator, and to all the panelists, our co-sponsors at the Point and Gotham Gazette, our partners at Mott Haven Herald and Hunts Point Express. To see video of this debate and reporting on this and other 2020 races, be sure to check out citylimits.org and gothamgazette.com. Now, a quick reminder, the Northwest Bronx Community and Clergy Coalition will be hosting a community-led forum, also informed by the People's Platform that our co-sponsor, The Point, helped to write, featuring District 15 candidates on Tuesday, June 9th at 6 p.m. For details, please check out at Northwest Bronx on Twitter or northwestbronx.org. Most important, please, please vote on June 23rd. It really, really matters. Thank you and good night.